welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Uh, Time for another podcast and once again i'm late getting one out but hey you guys are probably getting used to it so um thanks for your patience and should have a really really cool podcast today i've got a lot of awesome uh questions that i actually pulled off of most of my social media sites a lot of really really good response coming in this past week because as some of you probably know, uh, I went out to Joe Rogan's and did a Joe Rogan Experience podcast with him. Uh, you can check it out on uh, Joe Rogan Experience podcast. He's also on YouTube. You can watch uh, the podcast if you want to see some some visual effects of us sitting in front of a microphone with headsets on. But uh was a really awesome experience. Joe's recently got into archery, as a lot of the archery community knows. Um, well, I think he's been hunting several years, three or four years now, but uh, he's really starting to get in depth with wanting to make archery a perfection. And he was an awesome student. I wish I had more like him because really took to heart everything that I was dishing out there and totally is willing to keep an open mind and uh, set aside things that he had as habits in the past. But it was a great podcast, and more importantly, what was uh, so important for me was that I was able to have a platform to get a message out there about archery, and um, you know, I, you know, hopefully, a positive life messages out there to the people who are followers of Joe's and. I've just been bombarded on social media with the amount of people that are saying that uh, they wish they would have tried archery sooner or they never really considered it and now they're wanting to after listening to the podcast and a lot of people that were saying uh, you know, they didn't really want to listen to Joe's podcast if it was archery related, but they did anyway, yet they were just totally... Um, taken by the positive message that came away from that episode and people telling me, listen, I'm not even an archer. And I would venture to say that was one of the best podcasts that I've heard. So that's really, really awesome. Super feedback. And that's actually spurred some motivation for me because one of the top questions I've been getting from most of the followers that were listening to Joe's podcast was, I'm getting this influx of people who want to know how to start out as a beginner or what kind of bow should I have as a beginner? What do I need to do? So those are super important questions. And this topic is a little bit more in depth than me being able to just send you a quick response on social media. So hopefully some of those people that were followers of Joe's who have now gravitated towards archery, hopefully you're going to tune into at least this podcast of mine. Because what I'm going to announce is I'm actually going to um, I'm going to set aside some time and I'm going to produce a video specific to the people who are going to be stepping into archery for the first time, or people who are maybe just at that beginning stage. Um, the one thing that's sometimes tough for me, and I don't really think about it, and Joe actually brought this to my attention. Was you know Joe told me that the reason why he's such a follower of the podcast is because my information is so in depth, and that most of the time he's having to like Google different things that I'm discussing because it's coming at a level that's you know at a higher level of archery, which is obviously my background and what a lot of you listeners out there are wanting from me. However, sometimes it's really difficult for me to stay grounded and realize that there's people tuning in too that just might not have that diversity and knowledge and then some of this stuff may be going over their head so what I'm gonna do is 
I'm going to go ahead and partner with Hoyt, and also Joe told me he's going to send me some uh, some feedback as well. And I'm going to go ahead and produce a video specific to people getting into archery, doing some of the most important things the right way, and getting some of the fundamentals down. And I'm going to do this, uh, obviously, as a service to archery. Uh, once I'm finished here, and it may take me a month or so to knock it out uh, in order to do it right. I've got two episodes left for Knock On TV to, to produce and edit still. So as soon as I'm done with those here in the next few weeks, I'm going to jump on this topic and uh, really take advantage of all the people out there who are thirsty to try archery for the first time. And once again, I guarantee you're not going to be disappointed there's so many different opportunities for people with archery, and and there's really, um, it's a sport that you don't have to worry about age. You don't have to worry about your size. Obviously, um, you know I'm a promoter of being healthy, but you know archery is something that you can do regardless. And we continue to see top level archers come and win world championships and win big titles that are you know, well over 40 years old. So it's a sport that really offers flexibility and shape and size. And that's what's so cool about it. But uh, this should be a really cool video. And I'm making a promise to all of you out there, I'll get it out there. Um, Joe's already told me he thought it was an awesome idea. He's already told me he's going to go ahead and share it with his, uh, with his clientele and his followers as well. So We'll let you know when this is out there and when it's ready. So hopefully anyone out there that's wanting to get into archery, I know if you're eager to do it now, certainly you know if you're that eager to do it, find a, a good pro shop and, and get started. But otherwise, if you're not in a big hurry, then I can guarantee you this is going to be something to give you some valuable tips and pointers on things that you need to do to step into it the right way. Um, but the first subject I want to talk about today, uh, when I left Joe's, him and I are very similar in, I guess, work ethic and also our our knowledge and our thirst to learn more about health and bodies and things like that. So we got on several different subjects of um, health and nutrition related topics, but we also talked about different workout ethics and workout regimens that we do and Joe is extremely diverse. This was really cool for me because I've been fortunate to be coached I think by some of the best weight training people in the world with Arnold and Frank Zane. Um, you know those training years were just really critical and when I came away from that I remember telling Frank um, at the time that I really felt like I'd almost wasted like 15 years of weight training because I wasn't doing it properly and I wasn't doing it efficiently. And one of the things that I came away with Joe's that was interesting to me is, you know, Joe has different elements to things that he likes to do set up in a variety of locations because he's so busy He's constantly moving between office and house and different areas. So he has the ability to shoot in different areas. He has the ability to practice in different areas. He has the ability to, to do some fitness in different areas. And one thing that he said was, you know, a lot of times he has like kettlebells set up to where he can just go buy them and just pick some up and bust out some sets and just continually do it through the day and not go to failure. You know, he made a comment to me that that our body really isn't designed to go to failure. So this was really fascinating to me because I've actually never been a weightlifter that enjoys going in and lifting until I can almost not walk out of there anymore. Um, I really like to have a super solid workout, something that you know that I see as beneficial. But I also like to be able to to not feel like it's affected the rest of my day. And I made the comment to Joe. I said, "Well, so what you're talking about is kind of similar to farmer strength, 
Because you look at a big old farmer, and they're just strong. You know, a lot of times, every bit of them is just solid muscle. And it's because they are continually doing labor throughout the day. They're not sitting there and just throwing hay bales until they can't throw another one. They're just continuing to throw hay bales. And when they start to fatigue, they might switch it up and, you know, then they might stack bales or whatever it is. But, you know, they're continually working and putting in effort, but they're not necessarily going to failure. And I think this is a valuable lesson, not only for those of you out there who are into fitness, but also from an archery standpoint, because this is a subject that I actually had to kind of talk a little bit with Joe about, because when it came to archery, Joe was really he was shooting super well and made huge improvements on his shooting. And uh, Joe just was wanting to keep shooting and keep shooting. And I told him towards the end of the evening, you know, he made, he was shooting super solid, but there was one point where, you know, we were shooting, I think an 80 yard elk on a, about a 15 degree slope. And he just wadded up a whole quiver full of arrows, just, you know, right dead in the, 10 ring of this elk target and I just said all right man I kind of high-fived him and said awesome shooting great day great effort you know and I was like ready to call that a day well he pulled the arrows and next thing you know he's back on the line and made a few shots and the next end actually didn't go as good as the previous end and I could tell he was he was pissed off because two of the arrows weren't in the ten ring, so he went up and pulled the arrows, and he's going back to the line to shoot again. And by now, it's damn near dark. So I kind of had to stop and tell him. I said, listen, when you're practicing, there comes a time where if you're on a, if you're on a roll and you're making good shots and you know that you've been out here shooting quite a bit, I personally believe it does a lot for you as an athlete and as a mental imprint for you to be able to walk away sometimes with a perfect picture of your performance. You know, that one group where it was that perfect would have been a perfect time to call it quits, walk away, take a picture of that last group. You've got a a permanent imprint. You have a permanent memory that you can not only think about, but you can also come across it in your phone. You know, that's why I really like, there's a couple things when I practice. One, um, unless I'm working on someone else's bow, anytime I'm working on myself, I put my phone in airplane mode and I shoot and I practice. I'll take pictures of good groups. I try to take pictures of positives. If I'm shooting really well, I might video my form so that I have it. All this stuff is super valuable imprinting things for you to have in a database. Anytime you get in a slump, anytime you're feeling doubts about how you are as a as an athlete or as an archer, if there's times where you're at a tournament and you're nervous, These are all perfect times to be able to refer back to that and look at exactly how you can perform when you're doing it right. And it's a great positive to have, you know, kind of in your back pocket. So I just want people out there to understand that there's times during preparation and there's times during practice where it's really valuable for you to get in the reps and for you to make sure that you have the stamina in order to in order to make it through a full weekend of shooting. Obviously, if you're going off to a world archery event, you have to shoot 144 arrows for score, and then you've got another, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of, of arrows for practice. Obviously, if you're only ever shooting 100 arrows a day, you're not going to be able to be prepared to shoot 190 arrows in a day for score you know what i mean so you need to be able to have the time where you are going through the motion you are going through repetition to build the stamina but when it comes to working on the perfection and the scoring of your game there also is a very fine line of when you've pushed yourself to where you've 
came away from that practice with something more than you have in the past, but also hasn't pushed it too far to where you end on a negative. And that's a super valuable tip for any of you out there. And this goes for anything. I just strongly believe that people that have a strong self-image and people that really have only positive thoughts about themselves as a person and as a performer or an athlete, they it's because they constantly are seeing themselves do good and they have that confidence. If you're constantly imprinting a negative thing or a possibility of defeat, then you're a lot more likely to be able to dig that up at some time. So um, that, another thing I really enjoyed about that podcast with Joe, it makes it, it's difficult for me, honestly, with this knock on podcast because there's, I do it at times where it's hard for me to round up friends. A lot of times friends will call me and because I'm so busy, I haven't talked to people Uh, for a long time so by the time we end up catching up and just shooting the bull we end up having to go and I'm like oh man we should have done a podcast I mean this is just the other day Dave Stepp called me and we hadn't talked in a few months and we ended up talking archery and talking bows and we shot the bull for almost an hour and 20 minutes and he's like oh I gotta go I gotta go to the store and I said when can we podcast he's like I don't know man I'm getting really busy and I thought crap I should have just I should have like a record button on my phone. A lot of times, well, almost every time my phone rings, it's someone having an archery question. If I just recorded every single conversation between through from, you know, seven in the morning till seven at night, I'll guarantee you we could almost have a podcast every single day. But uh, the other thing. I guess I want to get into a little bit here is there's been a considerable amount of questions regarding the type of release. Um, You know, Joe has almost as many release aids as I do. I can't believe how many he's collected, but it was really because he wasn't sure that he was doing it the right way. And he was struggling to find, what he knew was a perfect shot. And essentially that's why I ended up uh, going out there and, and working with him is because he wanted confirmation of what is the right way. And um, I took all of his releases away and gave him a Carter Evolution and just focused on the same things that I've talked about so many times on this podcast. And that's striving for execution and not performance not you know you're not looking to outscore you're looking just for perfection on the shooting line and you know being on Joe's show and actually being able to sit across from someone and talk to someone instead of instead of doing it from the angle that I have to do on my own podcast it was really really nice to be able to open up and talk about what archery means to me and how when I practice, archery is a true, it's a, you know, it's a form of medication or a meditation for me. I guess it's medication too, but um, it's a form of meditation. When, I, when I'm really in my zone shooting, um, I know my mind is clear. I know that I'm really focusing on rhythm, on timing, on execution. Every single shot through my whole routine is happening within seconds of one another you know from as soon as one arrow hits the target and I reset and I'm going through my shot sequence every single arrow I'm systematically going through a process and literally letting that whole draw anchor shot arrow hits a target put my bow down I mean um, this whole process is just flow and it becomes systematic. It becomes, you know, I, I think I described it as it even feels musical sometimes because it's just in a sequence. It's almost like I can hear just a clicker going off of my head, just tick tock, tick tock. And you're just going through this flow. And that's what you want to strive for when you're practicing. When you're having distractions, and when you're starting to almost become robotronic in 
your archery practice, you're going to end up developing a lot of potentially poor habits. And that's why I'm such a firm believer in having a release aid and having form and posture that allows you to focus on pulling through the trigger and not anticipating the the trigger. If you're having to if you're having to manually set the trigger off when you want it to go off, that is absolutely not the right way, in my opinion, to do it. It works, and sometimes you're going to have the best score of your life, but I can guarantee you that you're going to obviously run into big slumps, and at some point or another, you're going to find yourself down a deep, deep hole of anxiety and target panic, You're not going to be able to get your pin to the target and archery is going to be extremely frustrating. You know, if you're new into archery, this is one of the most essential things I can talk about is really striving for focusing on movement and not pulling through the bow and letting the arrow happen instead of trying to force the shot to happen. There's just such a huge difference. And one of the questions I got here, um, and I didn't write down who most of these are from, but uh, this question is, I was wondering your thoughts about the Carter backstrap, which is a wrist strap version of the release that I gave Joe. Um, He said, I know that it has been discontinued, but I've been able to see a few pop up on eBay. In all reality, it works the same as the Evolution, but it's attached to the wrist. Um, I was just wondering if you've had any experience with them. Well, I've 100% had experience with them because the Evolutions, the backstraps, all these releases are things that I talked with Jerry Carter about years and years ago and just said, listen, this is what I would love to have to work with students. And I told him exactly what I wanted and I told him what I needed and Next thing you know, the evolution was was made. And then I said, listen, we need to do the same thing in a wrist strap, which is how the back strap came about. And listen, the back strap is a great release. And for that matter, you know, if as long as the releases are in good condition, you shouldn't have any hesitation picking up something used to try it. Um I know an archer out there that's you know that's growing in popularity right now. Um, a friend of mine, Jimmy Herman, and Jimmy Jimmy's out on tour right now with Carrie Underwood. So if you're bored in a bus, Jimmy, and listening to a Knock On podcast, uh, I ha- I don't know if I've really talked to you about this. To be honest with you, Jimmy came out here to the house when he was had a concert in Des Moines this summer and um, got him set up with his Hoyt, and he had his back strap here. And Jimmy has awesome execution. He's got really good form, perfectly pulls through that back strap and executes great shots with a wrist strap release. And yes, it's absolutely just as good. Um, personally, I love having a handheld release. I don't like having a wrist strap that if I'm wearing a glove, it has to be bigger. Or if I'm not wearing a glove, if I'm crawling in the dirt, I don't like having something attached to my wrist. If I'm climbing up a ladder stand or a tree stand, I don't like the possibility of it banging on something metal. So I really like having a handheld release. So that's just my preference. But if you're a wrist strap type of person, definitely give one a try. You won't regret it. Uh, Super great product. And actually... Years ago, um, when the Evolution first came out, it could be 10 years ago now. I can't even remember. I know that I didn't have much gray hair, but I actually did a small video on um, how to use the Carter Evolution and kind of gave a brief little rundown of how to properly use it. So I actually called uh, Carter, and Jerry and April have agreed. They actually bought rights to that DVD when I made it, so it was really theirs. Um at that time. So uh, Jerry and April have both agreed to let me have that Carter Evolution uh, video back in possession. So I'm going to actually launch that video on how to focus on using the Carter Evolution. And, th- and the same would be true for the backstrap. I'm going to put that on my YouTube channel, Knock on Archery. 
hopefully here within the next week. It's probably not going to happen today because we're going to have to get that ripped off a DVD. I don't know if we still have the original media files. It's Like I said, it's it's been a few years, so you're going to get to see a young, dark-haired dud um, with possibly a wine buzz about halfway through the through the video that's a disclaimer but it's true i like wine um right now i'm actually enjoying some mountain ops enduro i got some trying some yeti and some enduro so thanks matt davis and jordan for sending me some of that i i incorporated a new practice routine this morning and i've actually had some pretty funny uh comments come through from the people that aren't necessarily fitness advocates but the other day i told sharon um when the weather's nice i actually like to ride my bike i've got a felt uh crap what model is it i think it's a felt outfitter um i've got a felt bike that i love to ride it's an e-bike um I love riding that thing to and from my gym. I can get about 15 miles in with the loop that I do, 15 miles a day. Uh, but sometimes I want to run too. I like to run about uh, three times a week. So I told Sharon, I'm like, you know what? Why don't why don't I start just parking my parking my car a mile from the gym that way? Because I said by the time you walk in the gym, you always take 10 minutes to stretch and warm up. So why not park a mile away and you know, take you eight to 10 minutes to run to the gym. You're warmed up already. You can get right into your routine. And then when you're done, you get to have a little 10 minute cardio to finish it off. It's kind of perfect. So, uh, this morning I parked my Jeep 10 miles or uh, a mile away and ran a mile in, did my workout, ran a mile back, worked really, really awesome. So if any of you out there looking to make that next step to go a positive direction with your lifestyle this is an easy way to do it you'll be surprised at uh at what that can do for you but my next question is going to be from rj clockmaker he's always he's got more questions than any social media person that i have guaranteed he can come up with one about every 15 seconds I told him that I was going to answer these three, and then he replied by saying thanks and gave me another one, which I told him, chill out, bro. So podcast question. You mentioned in one of your earlier podcasts that you on occasion flip your limbs around. Can you expand on that? Um, what? When do you know when it's time to try that? So on some bows, especially split limb bows, um, there's times where people worry about their cam lean and some models that don't have a yoke system to be able to adjust your cam lean. What you can do is if you change a lot of times on bows, you're going to have a thin and a thick washer on either side of your cam. If you change, if you pull the axles and you flip those washers around because you're moving that cam to a different position on the axle it will change the pressure of how it is tilting or twisting that axle and essentially twisting the limb so by flipping the bushings and putting the small on one side and the thick on the other you'll slightly move the string position um, in relation to that axle so you'll change how the cam is leaning but if you want to go one step further than that, if you have cam lean that is a little bit excessive, then what you can do is you can actually put the bow in a press, pull your axles out of the limbs so that you can lift your entire cam system out of the bow. And take, you know, I like to just take my cams. And with my strings and cables still on them, so I'm not losing my twists. If I pull the axles, I'll lift it out of the limb. I'll put the axle right back through the cam. I'll hold it or I'll kind of set it to where everything doesn't come off. And then I'll do the next, either the top or the bottom one. I'll get them both off. I'll put the axles back through so everything's sitting, literally sitting in one spot. And I'll just hang that top cam on something 
so that the whole string and cable harness system attached to the cams is hanging in one spot. Then I'll back the bow press out, take the bow out of the press, and I'll flip my limbs. I'll literally just put the left limb on the right side and the right on the left, and I'll put it back in the press. I'll set the cams and right back in the limbs, put that uh, washers where they're supposed to be, put the axle back through, let the bow press up, and then I'll go ahead and pull it back and check it to see how the cam lean is. It can be better. It could possibly be worse. If it's better but it isn't as good as you want it, the next step would then be to do the same process, remove the cams uh, with the string and cable harnesses still on them, move those out, and then when you let the bow press out, actually take your top limbs and move them down to the bottom and then move your bottom limbs back to the top because essentially uh, you have four limbs. So there's a there's a whole order that you can flip those things around and sometimes they just like to to flex slightly differently. Now the nice thing about the Hoyt limbs is if you have four limbs they've actually came off the exact same plate. So when limbs are made they're made into a plate where you have all the different layers of glass pressed down. Then what they'll do is they'll cut out the four limbs out of that single plate uh, which is really nice because there's also manufacturers that don't do it that way. Uh, limbs are just manufactured. They're cut out. There might be four full-size limbs on one plate. They come out and then they go into boxes. Then they get shipped off to be film dipped. Then they come back. Then they get put in inventory. Your your chances of of the limbs actually being brothers and sisters are almost zero. I can tell you with Hoyt, your limbs are 100% quadruplets. They are out of the exact same plate. That plate stays together the entire production line. They never leave. They're always together. So if you're having some cam lean, usually it's just a matter of flipping them around and you should be all set. Several different things can change this. How far your cable guard is over, the axle axle length of your bow, you know, what your brace height is, how much tension there is actually on your cable while the bow's at rest. All this stuff kind of affects that. Uh, but if you're looking to change it, that is what you do, and that is why I do it. Um, so you're a lucky dude. I'm going to give you three questions. So your next question is, do you use lighted knocks to check your tune? Absolutely. My basic rule of thumb in archery, especially when it comes to tuning, even when it comes to form, anytime you change anything, you've changed everything. 100%. You have to practice how you're going to play. I can tell you right now, it kind of sucks if you're going to be shooting lighted knocks and you only you know you can't just buy three and that's all you take because a lot of knocks fit the servings different they fit your knocking points different <clears throat> they're obviously a different weight so practice how you play i mean if you have lighted knocks from last year that were getting kind of dim and old those are the perfect one to put into your practice arrows um, i can tell you that you know, when Joe and I were shooting and when I've been working on Joe's bows, I 100% have them set up exactly how we're going to be shooting them. It's so, so important. You know, same is going to be true. It's no different than when you put a broadhead on. If you're looking to shoot a broadhead, you better tune and you better set up and you better build using that broadhead. You might start out using field points, but once it's coming crunch time and you know you're getting ready to to want to take a broadhead into the field, you better be utilizing that. You can't just assume that it's going to hit the same because the majority of the time it's not. All right, so clockmaker, you get one more question here, dude, and then you're done. You got to chill out for a bit. Um, so you say, and once again, that's shades. If you heard that, that's shades stretching out. My poor dog got hit by a semi a few weeks after we moved to our house here. They had to put it all back together. She was, she had a bunch of legs broken up and hips and stuff. But 
So she suffers from arthritis. So every now and then you're going to hear moan and groan on the floor when she stretches out. But good old shades. That's her, just in case you think I farted. Um, so last question is for Clockmaker. You've been rocking the four-fletch. So four fletchings on my arrows, for those of you who aren't following. If you're going to compete at 50 meters, do you think you'd still end up with a three-fletch and a launcher blade or the four fletch with your fall away arrow rest. So if I was to shoot target and actually when I went to Joe's, I took two bows, I took my target bow and I took my hunting bow. Most of the time when I was shooting with Joe, I shot my hunting bow. However, with my target bow, I'm still, because I've got a much smaller arrow in diameter and overall size, uh, I'm able to shoot even a smaller fletch in a much heavier point. So for that, I do prefer a blade rest. Um, I really like the Trophy Taker Spring Steel Pro. Most of the time I'm able to use a 10 thousandths blade. I set it at about a 35 to 37 degree angle. Uh, I like it to have a little bit of bounce, but I also like to make sure once I'm about halfway drawn back, it's solid and holding the arrow in one position. I just love the simplicity of that, and aerodynamically, you know, three fletches are going to be better than, especially with drag, than than four. And a lot of times on your hunting arrows, you're going to be able to get a much higher FOC and you know that you're not going to be trying to eventually steer a broadhead. So with my four fletches, that's really something that I've got for my target setup. Um, it's nothing that I've, I've never really played around with that for an indoor setup that could possibly be something worth trying. Uh, a fall away and a four fletch three inch vein could be pretty cool on a, on a, big diameter shaft but no if i was going to compete at 50 meters i would still just go with my little uh pm 2.0 aae veins really low profile shield cuts and i'm going to be running at least 120 grains in the front of my arrows and all would be good on a blade rest trophy taker spring steel pro is what i'd run with uh 10 thousandths blade so next question here is in the picture that you posted with the eight arrows in the block target are the veins aae max hunters or aae pro max veins um, so for any of you out there just starting to follow just so you know i actually really prefer instagram that is my go-to account a lot of times i share to my other pages what I posted on Instagram. I like Instagram, so if you're not on there, you better get on there. And it's Knock on TV. If you want to find me, you just search for Knock on TV and follow. Uh, I post pictures there a lot. So um, I actually was telling Joe, I'm so burnt out with Facebook. It's like the worst. It's just so many ads and just garbage news sucks. I told him, I said, if you ever wanted to like torture me, just put me in solitary confinement with an iPad with nothing but my Facebook account on there. And I'd probably just do myself in within a few days. But Instagram, I'm cool with it. Twitter, I'm getting better. I'm not really good at the tweets, but I'm getting better at it. Um, but on my Instagram page, I posted this picture with a block target and I had arrows in the dead center of all the different uh, dots and to answer the question on my hunting arrow i'm using the aae pro max it's the slightly smaller max hunter style vein um, it's more of kind of a target slash 3d type vein uh, but that is what i'm using let's see uh, next question here i mostly just deer hunt would it be worth going to an Easton Axis 300 arrow with 50 grains of brass in the front and then a 100 grain broadhead or the full metal jacket arrow with a standard insert? Um, he's shooting a 26 or a 2870 bow. So here's the deal. I went through this when I built Joe's bow, uh, bow 
I went through about four different shafts that I had good feelings about. And just so you know, I really, really like a little bit higher FOC front of center on my arrow. So I, for many, many years, I actually preferred the Easton Axis with the 50 grain brass insert compared to my full metal jackets with a standard aluminum insert. My FOC was better. Um, actually, hold on here. I got this piece of paper. Joe, if you're listening, I think I had forgot to send this to you, but I'll just give you the diagnostics here on Joe's arrows. So Joe's arrows, um, he, I ended up going with the full metal jacket with a standard insert and a three inch vein. His arrow weighed right at about 459 grains with a 9.6% front of center. Now the axis with a 50 grain brass insert had the exact same weight, same exact weight, um, but it was 13.3%. So it was, you know, it was about three and a half percent better FOC. Um, however, because Joe's shooting 80 pounds, the 300 spine axis with the 50 grain brass insert, it actually shades. Chill out, dude. Come here. Come over here. Come here. Poor shades. She's a she's a fighter though. I couldn't have got hit by a semi. So anyway, back to the axis with a 50 grain brass insert. It's the same exact weight, but the FOC is almost three and a half to four percent higher. However, with Joe's bow, because he's shooting 80 pounds, the 300 spine is kind of right on the limit of being perfectly matched for that bow. With the axis, it started to show signs of being a little bit too weak, and it wasn't outperforming the full metal jacket in Joe's case. Now, I did take Joe's bow down to 77 pounds, and the axis started to outperform the full metal jacket. However, it's three less pounds, so um, it wasn't what he wanted to do. So if you can get the arrows to spine, which I'm certain if you're just shooting a 28-inch 70-pound, then yes, 100%. I think an axis with 50 grains of brass is a better ballistic choice for an arrow. Uh, you know, definitely love that arrow. Shot a ton of stuff with the axis with the 50 grain brass insert. Worked really, really, really good. Um, okay, so let's move on here. Um, next question. I mostly just deer hunt. Would it be worth going to a Easton axis? Oh yeah, I just read that one. Okay. So this next one, I've actually got notes to myself. Holy shit. I almost died laughing at this one. Okay. So I think I remember this one too. So this question says, thanks for talking about your mindset and equipment practices on the Joe Rogan podcast. That was really great. Next time you've got the high-speed camera out, would you mind getting it, getting a close-up of your Carter and execute a good shot and then execute a mild punch and show us the differences? <laughs> this would help myself and others take high-speed videos to do our side-by-side comparison. First off, I love, thank you everyone who is a follower to the show. But I'm going to make a freaking very distinct line in the sand right now. And that line is, I'm not going to punch a trigger for any of your benefits, okay? It took me years to eliminate my thirst for punching the trigger. Part of me, I personally feel like I've mastered the shot of archery. And it's because punching the trigger is not part of my equation. So um, I'll gladly video you punching the trigger. And then I'll video myself not punching a trigger. And then we can do a comparison. But 
Um, as of right now, I'll probably give you a slow motion video of me pulling through a shot with a trigger and you'll have to just look at someone else's punching shot because I'm not going to do it. Um, sorry about that. Next question. Thanks so much for the information. Words of wisdom you gave on the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm 20 years old. I'm an upcoming fighter. Oh yeah. This one, Joe, if you're listening, I, this question, I really liked this question and, uh, maybe send me a message or something about this. This is a pretty cool story. I'm 20 years old, up up and coming fighter. Over the past year or two, I've been battling postural imbalances. My left shoulder is severely rounded and my left hip is also raised and rotated. It greatly affects my performances and these struggles are constantly in my head and exhaust me mentally. I'm always researching, looking for ways to possibly fix this, but haven't been able to make progress. I've been to PT and just don't have any luck, any advice on what to do. It's so bad that sometimes it drains my love for sports. I can't go to the gym and lift properly, so it's just mentally frustrating. I'm probably one of the most self-critical people alive. So much that if I can't do it perfectly, I'd end up just not wanting to do it. Any advice you could give would be awesome. Um, For me, this has been the hardest thing I've ever dealt with mentally and physically, and it makes it tough to stay disciplined. Thank you. So, man, these types of stories are, they just really hit home with me because obviously everybody has hurdles. Everyone has things to overcome and the one thing that I'll say, and I said it on Joe's podcast was when I hurt my shoulder, you know, I was really bummed out about it. I mean, it obviously when you first hear news like that, you're, you really have two ways to look at something. You ha- you can either look at it positively or you can look at it negatively. You can either, you know, and then you have two ways you can respond. You can either respond by, you know, looking at it as a challenge um, and a possible you know, conquer if you overcome it, or you can kind of take the poor me philosophy. And this can be really, really tough. Um, These particular things aren't my specialty. I wish I knew, I wish I knew of someone that could tell you with, you know, with those imbalances, how you can get around. Um, I know that there's there, there's just so many people around me. All I can say is you just have to find a way and just don't give up. Because when I look at people like Jeff Fabry, um, you know, got in a motorcycle accident and just is one of the awesomest para archers out there. Actually, every single para archer I've worked with, and I have worked with several. Um, I was working with a para archer that I. I actually think he's probably going to win a medal after I was done with him um, over in Europe. And just a few simple changes, and he just shoots so unbelievable, yet you know he's having to deal with being in a wheelchair. You look at someone like Matt Stutzman. I mean, you know, Matt Stutzman came here uh, maybe a year, year ago. Well, right when he was deciding whether or not he wanted to switch to Hoyt, um, you know, Matt asked if I would help him on a few things, and he came by. And I mean, here's a guy with no arms, freaking ripping into the parking lot in a big Dodge Ram, driving with his feet, and then you know, mowing down a sub at Jimmy John's, and then coming here and you know, working on shooting and putting together what it takes to shoot his first 300. I mean there's just so many inspirations out there and it's because these people just don't look at these things as handicaps and they don't look at them as, as disabilities or weaknesses. You have to look at it as if it's a challenge and there's just ways to get around it. You know, uh, my boy has a, has a guy here in school, uh, in Indianola, his name's Gabe and just an awesome kid. He's got some He's got some deformities on one side of his body. Um, you know, he has kind of has a kind of a partial arm or a partial hand. I'm not really sure, but 
The dude is just freaking an awesome runner. He's on every one, of, every one of Harry's teams. He's on there, and he just continues to get better and better and better. I mean, the guy's on the swimming team, freaking swimming with one arm. I mean, it's truly inspirational. And again, you just have to take this situation and look at it as an opportunity to inspire and to overcome. And... You know, don't look at it as a disability or a hurdle or an obstacle. You just need to look at it as an opportunity and figure out a way to get around it. You know, that's really what my advice to you is. And thanks so much for uh, tuning in and sending me the message. And hopefully that helps you out, buddy. Um, My next question here says, I'm not sure when I should ask this, but I'm shooting a Bowtech Prodigy, and after setting it up on the drawboard, I've noticed the top uh, draw stop was hitting before the bottom. I've looked at a couple topics relating to this, and it seems that about 50% of the people prefer that the top should hit first, and others say they should hit at the same time. Um, Can you point me in the right direction? So in a lot of cases with any type of two cam bow or multiple cam setup a lot of times people do prefer the top to slightly hit before the bottom and really if you've got a drawboard what i like to do is when i pull it back to where the cables touch that draw stop or the draw stops touch the limb depending on your bow I like to hold it there for about 10 seconds, the same amount of time as I would to actually let my shot fire. And then I like to slowly let it forward and see how those cams are actually leaving the limb or leaving the cable. Um, Because there's something called rebounding, which at full draw, a lot of bows, sometimes depending on the cam design, Certain cables, whether it's the control cable or whether it's the power cable, certain cables hold more force than the other ones, depending on the model of bow. So sometimes when that synthetic material is held in a load for a certain amount of time, it actually starts to stretch and then starts to what I call rebound and it slightly moves. So I like to draw that back and hold it at full draw for about the amount of time it takes for a shot to fire and then slowly let it forward just so that you can see how the cams are leaving. Sometimes if that top cam is leaving before the bottom, then yes, you might want to set it up so that the top is actually touching before the bottom. However, if you see that the bottom is leaving before the top, then you're probably going to want to just set them both dead even. So that's how I check it and how I know, depending on the bow. It's never going to be the same. Some models like it one way, some models like it another way. And depending on the string material that you're using, uh, which is an endless discussion, uh, it can change greatly. I had to take a swig of my Yeti Enduro there. Um, okay. So next question. Um, I have a question for you. If you don't mind, I don't mind. I love to shoot my bow and I shoot it every day, but mainly I have it for hunting. I generally like a light weight setup, but have done some research on sidebars. Any reasons not to use sidebars on your hunting? I noticed that your hunting rig doesn't have one. So, Yeah, I've gotten to this discussion a million times. Um, It's kind of weird. One of my my good buddies, Justin Peak, and maybe Justin's listening, but he shoots a freaking competition stabilizer on a Hoyt Hyper Edge out of a hunting situation. So, I mean... I don't know. Does does he have to, like, hang his stabilizer out the front of the blind to make shots? I I guess he probably does. I know for me, I'd be banging that thing all over the place. 31-inch draw, I'd be able to damn near slap a turkey in the head if I had a stabilizer like that. Um, When it comes to my hunting bows, and really my target bows too, and this is just a mentality, a personal mentality that I've taken from how much travel I've made as a bow hunter and as an archer i mean it is so much travel and 
the more crap that I have that is complicated, the easier it is for something to go wrong, something to come loose, me forget something, me not put it on, and then it shoots different. Um, and besides all that, just the simplicity of being able to maneuver, um, be able to get around stuff, be able to lay it on my lap and it fits there and it's not all laying weird. Um, you know, putting an extra side rod on, then all of a sudden I go to hang it on my bow hanger and the freaking bow hanger spins off the tree cause your bow's too heavy. I mean, just all this stuff that adds up to where I'm just like, you know what? Keep it simple. Uh, you know, my dad taught me that kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Um, I really like simplicity on bow setups. I like simple setups. I like simple form. I like simple, simple shot execution. There's just less crap to think about. It's repeatable. It's consistent. It's easy to fix. And it's just, in my opinion, it's bulletproof. Now there's real techie gadgety people like Joe that just loves something new and loves to research stuff. And, you know, Hey, every there's people like that. There's people that want to shoot a sidebar. Um, personally, I just really like simplicity. Um, if something goes wrong and, you know, a friend of mine's asking me about something, the checklist is much shorter than having all that stuff. Um, I just think the simpler you keep it, the easier it is to maintain and the more you can focus on yourself rather than your equipment. That's just my personal opinion. Um, okay, last question here. Hey, Mr. Dudley, David here. I've got to start off by saying what a huge fan I am of your show. Thank you, David. Uh, I first picked up a bow about a month ago and was hooked. Your show has been great a great resource for me in my newfound passion. My question is this, how does the tension system in a Carter Revolution compare in contrast to that of a spinning mechanism like a Honey 2 or a Total Control? Which of these would you prefer? So the Evolution is just so much different than any type of hinge style release. A hinge style release or a spinning style release they are going to require movement of the hand, regardless of how you get there. Some people like to make a fist. Some people like to relax the index fingers. Some people like to slowly turn as they pull through. Either way, there's movement. Um, I can't say that it's not good because a hinge release is what I used to learn my shot execution. They do work. They're awesome. They're great. The evolution just completely focuses on pulling it also is going to definitely show you any type of structural form mistakes that you have um, if you start to lose posture if you start to come out of alignment then that release is going to be very difficult to shoot do people get frustrated with it yeah because they can't get it to be the same all the time and guess what it's because you're not the same every time you know, you haven't really stuck with it long enough to know what form breakdowns mean in the shot. And also, in my opinion, a lot of times for people that are learning the proper way of shooting, the best shots are often the ones that you don't force to happen. You know, there was there was times which it took almost a full day before Joe actually had one shot where he just, I could tell in his face, he knew something wasn't right. He put the safety on, he let his bow down. And it was like, man, that could have been the best shot you've made this whole weekend. And the reason why is for the same reason of what I said at the beginning of this podcast. And that is, I know as an athlete, as a person a huge importance to me is having positive imprinting and having a positive self-image. I hate to say it, but sometimes all it takes is one or two bad events to start you in a new direction of a negative desired place. So, if you're going to try to just force that shot off simply because 
you don't have control, that could be all it takes to get you going the total wrong direction as a competitor. So I just really feel like having less control gives you more, if that makes sense. Um, certainly a hinge style release is great. I can tell you that, um, a hinge style release is good. It's good. It's a great way to, to learn an unanticipated shot. Um, I don't prefer clickers. Um, a lot of people are maybe a little bit more uneasy drawing those back since they don't fully have a safety other than you having to have your hand in the correct position as you draw back. Um, that's what I like about the evolution. It does have a safety and it also really does bring your attention to things that necessarily weren't correct in your form. So with that said, uh, this is the conclusion of my podcast. Uh, one thing quick, I've had a lot of people actually sending me messages also asking me if I would share or post, Um, some of the audio files from some of the inspirational stuff that I have in the background. Um, I was going to try to do that, but I actually want to just double check some permission on some stuff. A lot of these things are things that I've bought or acquired. Um, I don't know if publishing them out there is totally cool um, until I really know where they all came from and I can give some credit where the credit is due. Um, So maybe in the future I'll be able to do that for all of you. Until then... Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And I am going to go whack a turkey. So, later, dudes. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.